Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and good afternoon to you. It's wonderful to be in your company this afternoon. It is Wednesday. It is a beautiful day. It is just gone ten past two on this beautiful Wednesday here in the Highfield. And great to be with you and to be able to talk a little bit about what is happening Jewishly, not only today, but in the days ahead. And, of course, in this segment that we call Judaism 101.9. To begin with, let's state categorically that we are on a day today, the 15th of Av, that is recorded in the Talmud as being the most joyous day in the calendar, comparable only in its joy to Yom Kippur. I guess that's a little bit of a... A conundrum in one's head because we don't necessarily think about Yom Kippur as being a joyous day. But then what is joy? And then how do we celebrate these things today? (coughs) How do we celebrate these things today and how were they celebrated in the past? Well, if we take a look very carefully at the wording of our sages in describing this day, the 15th of Av, and Yom Kippur, we're in for a couple of surprises. Because Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says, there were no greater festivals for Israel than the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur. And he goes on, and he tells us something that I'm sure a lot of us have missed. He says, on these days, now, these days is the 15th of Av, And Yom Kippur, the daughters of Jerusalem would go out and dance in the vineyards. And what would they say? Young man, raise your eyes and see which you select for yourself. There's a quote from the Gemara in Tainus. 26b, you can check it yourself. And the Talmud goes on to list several joyous events that occurred on the 15th day in the month of Av. But the point that we sometimes miss is that Yom Kippur was a really, really joyous day, as was the 15th of Av. In fact, they're highlighted as the most joyous days in the Jewish calendar. Now, you and I have to pause for a moment and think about what are the days of our greatest joy. Well, if we're not just talking about personal events, you know, look back and you say, well, a wedding date, a, uh, an engagement date, a bar mitzvah date, the date of the birth of a first child, the date of the birth of any child, all of these things, they rate there, you know, as great and wonderful and joyous days for each and every one of us in an individual sense. But what about joyous dates for the whole Jewish people? I'm sure that we would think first of Purim, we would think of uh, Simchas Torah, we would think of dates like that far more joyous to our thinking in our minds than Yom Kippur and the 15th of Av. And our sages explain that things have changed. And it's one of the things perhaps that we miss the most in the diaspora, the fact that we're in a diaspora not just because we live in South Africa, but we're in a diaspora because the Romans destroyed our second Beit HaMikdash and put us into a diaspora that we call Galut Golus that we've been in ever since. And that is what we commemorated last week, Thursday, on Tisha B'Av, and in the nine days before that and the uh, three weeks that preceded Tisha B'Av as well. We were thinking about 
the tragedy, the tragedies of the destruction, the tragedies of being driven out of Israel, the tragedies of losing so much. And this is some of the so much that we lost. The ability to understand not only true joy and true simcha, but for the celebrations to have taken place as they did take place, to celebrate and commemorate these great days, we're told clearly that the 15th of Av, this day, today, Wednesday, right now, the day that we're speaking to each other, that this day was a day of this great, great, great celebration, huge celebration. It was a chag. It was a festival. It was incredible. It was powerful. It was beautiful. It was celebrated. And what happened on that date? And what happened on Yom Kippur? So both of them line up to be, and we'll go through some of the things, of course, that occurred on this date and why we celebrate the 15th of Av in the first place, the things that the Talmud tells us about. But when we think about these two powerful dates and these two Simcha dates, they have a certain common theme. There's the idea of forgiveness. There's the idea of breaking down of barriers, which we'll discuss. There's the idea of a unity that was created not only of people but of purpose on these days and a kind of a redemptive environment and feeling of immersing ourselves in these days, in the day of Yom Kippur and in the day of the 15th of Av, that carried us with a joy and a simcha that you want to use the word unbridled, an unbridled simcha, an unlimited simcha. But since the destruction of the temple, and we've been driven into Golis, and we're in this diaspora, our simcha has been tempered, and we break a glass under the chuppah, even at the height of our joy, um, as a symbol of the fact that our simcha is tempered. And it's not only that the simcha is tempered, and of course we always refer to the destruction of the temple at that moment, and we sing the song, Yerushalayim, and so on, but there's the idea of the simcha of the creation of Jewish families that kind of supersedes it all. And the days of Yom Kippur and the 15th of Av were these powerful dates on which that kind of simcha, of understanding that people would remain modest, that there wasn't going to be any frivolity, that there wasn't going to be any abuse of this kind of uh, free reign, so to speak, of people being able to engage with each other and uh, become engaged to each other and uh, have weddings and have simchas. It was an incredible, incredibly powerful, powerful time when all of these things could happen, when all of these things could come to fruition in temple times. Great and beautiful and incredible joy. The simcha of the 15th of Av and the Simcha of Yom Kippur were these days on which absolute Simcha could take place. Unfortunately, since the destruction, we've lost that ability to be as modest as we were then. We've lost that ability to be able to kind of control uh, the Simcha when you put uh, girls out there dancing in the vineyards and men coming to choose their brides. It was something that was so holy. It was something that was so spiritual. It was something that was so special. And everybody was in on the whole um, atmosphere. 
and the whole environment that nobody sinned, that nobody tripped up. It was this day of absolute purity and the day of absolute holiness and this day of absolute simcha that since the destruction of the temple we haven't been able to have. So therefore, we have a diminishing kind of a celebration, a diminished kind of a celebration of Yom Kippur as well. Yom Kippur has become this serious date, of course. It was a serious date as well, but serious in a very, very uplifting and simchadika way in the past, which we have lost. And here, 15th of Av, too, having lost so much of what the simcha of the day, the joy of the day, is actually all about. And so, as we spend some time today thinking about the 15th of Av, we're going to go through and we're going to think about, I know somebody has asked um, here to help us understand if this 15 is the same in Judges 21, 19 to 23, the Benjamite men would hide in vines to come out when young women uh, um, were, were dancing in the fields and so on. This is, in fact, the same Idea, and we're going to convey it soon. We're going to talk about that as well um, in the coming segment of the show. Stay with us. We'll be back soon. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So let's delve a little bit deeper into this date, the date of the 15th of Menachem Av. The 15th day in the month of Av is the day on which, as we said, the great joy that used to take place in temple times, which has now been tempered down and uh, unfortunately is not as joyous as it was then. What do we do today? We just don't say penitential prayers. Tachanun is not said. And there is kind of an atmosphere, an influence, a feeling, I guess, of a beautiful day. But um, there's not much else that we do to really spiritually, physically mark this date. So what were the, were the things that the Talmud tells us happened? Well, number one, the dying of the generation of the Exodus ceased. Now, the Jewish people were not meant to die in the desert, but 600,000 men had to perish in the desert um, between our departure from Egypt until our arrival in Israel. And they passed away, as we have mentioned before, on Tisha B'Av, the date of dying. And they say that 15,000 men died each year. And so in the last year that they were in the desert, 15,000 men dug their graves. They were ready to... But their families farewell as they did and they lay down to sleep in their graves on what they considered to be Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, the day of death in the desert, and nobody died. And they stood up in the morning thinking that perhaps they'd miscalculated that the date of the ninth, you know, if you take a look at the moon, um, one could possibly confuse a moon on the ninth of the month compared to the moon on the tenth of the month or the eighth, and maybe they had gone into the graves to lie down to sleep that night one day early. And so they tried it the next night as well, and again, nothing happened. And so it went on until on the 15th of the month, the 15th of Av, when they took a look at the moon, there was no doubting. You could not confuse a full moon to a moon on the 9th or the 8th or the 10th of the month, and therefore they knew that the decree was over. Nobody else was going to die in the desert, and everybody, could you imagine the joy, the whole um, uh, decree of the death in the desert was now over. Every single individual who was standing there on that date, on the 15th of Av, before we got into Israel, knew 
at that moment that they were going to occupy Israel, that they were going to receive the, the land of promise, that they were going to receive the gift that God had promised us when he took us out of Egypt in the first place. Imagine the simcha, imagine the joy, imagine the happiness at that realization. The second thing that happened, we're told, is that the tribes of Israel were permitted to intermarry. Now, this um, dated back to the story of the daughters of Tzlovchad, which we read about a couple of weeks ago in the Parsha, um, where we speak about um, these uh, a group of women who um, came to Moshe Rabbeinu, they came to Moses with a question about if they could inherit from their father who had passed away and left no male heirs. And the whole idea of the male heirs was to preserve the tribalization of uh, the Jewish people. And it then became a... Um, a notion within Judaism that uh, people, in order to avoid any disputes that might come about about land and occupation of various different lands by different tribes, imagine if a girl from one tribe marries a guy from another tribe and she inherits from her father, who does that land belong to? And because of these potential disputes over land, the Torah saw fit to tell us that the tribes then should only intermarry within their tribes. And imagine how limiting that was, you know. We always talk about, and people do refer today to a shidduch crisis, to the fact that uh, young men and women aren't able to meet up and that it's so difficult for people to find marriage partners as it is. Imagine if that was multiplied basically by 12, if it was made so much more difficult. And um, tribes weren't allowed to intermarry. And the decree was actually deemed to have been only for the generation that occupied Israel. That first generation was the way that our sages learned it out. And therefore, at a later stage, after a generation of the occupants of the first occupation of um, of Israel, they um, um, decreed that this this decree against intermarriage could be lifted. And it came together, it seems, with something that happened with the tribe of Benjamin, which are... Listener, Joseph actually raised, which the tribe of Benjamin was permitted to re-enter the community. Now, what had happened here? There was a terrible story that is related in the book of Judges that he referred to about the concubine of Giva, the uh, Pelegesh Begiva. There was a terrible story about a woman who was abused. She happened to be um, 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 located within the tribe of Benjamin. The men of uh, Benjamin behaved badly. Um, it wasn't actually deemed as to exactly who it was who um, had abused her in the f- in the first place. But the sages saw fit that if one woman was abused by a group of men from a certain tribe, that the entire tribe should, in inverted commas, be ostracized from the ability to intermarry with the rest of the tribes. And so a moratorium on marriage with the people of the Benjaminite men, with the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin, was uh, placed by the sages, and it was deemed to last only for one generation. And during that generation, the men of Benjamin were not allowed to intermarry with um, anybody else uh, from other tribes. They had to remain within their tribe. This was the collective, in inverted commas, collective punishment for the entire tribe's abuse of one individual woman, which in itself is an amazing, amazing story. But... The sages saw fit then at the end of that time to choose the 15th of Av as the date on which they told the men of Benjamin that you can go and seek wives 
on the 15th of Av, like everybody else does when the, when the girls dance in Jerusalem and so on. And therefore, effectively, that decree was rescinded, and it happened to be on the 15th of Av, and that seems to have come together with the rescinding of the decree of intermarriage in general between the tribes. It was regarded as a great um, release of the difficulties that were placed upon the finding of marriage partners and the setting up of Jewish homes. And all of a sudden now the tribes could intermarry, and all of a sudden now the, tri- the, the, the people from Benjamin, Binyomin, could intermarry with everybody else. There was this re Let's call it the reunification, the great unity of the Jewish people, which created so much more simcha, so much more joy for that particular uh, time and something that we always remember on the 15th of Av from year to year. A further um, description or a further happening that happened on the 15th of Av was Hoshea ben Ella opened the roads to Yerushalayim, to Jerusalem. Now, what was this about? Well, upon the division of the Holy Land into two kingdoms, following the death of Shlomo Melech of King Solomon, who passed away in the year 2964 from creation, which is 797 years before the Common Era. So we're talking about a long time ago, more than 2,500 years ago, a, a king, ruler of the breakaway northern kingdom of Israel by the name of Yeravim ben Navat, he set up roadblocks to prevent his citizens from the north making the three times a year pilgrimage to the Beit HaMikdash, to the temple in, Yeru, in Yerushalayim, in the capital of the southern kingdom of Yehuda. Um, now, amazingly, these were set up, can you imagine, uh, the north of Israel, um, the king of the north would not allow his subjects to travel down to Yerushalayim for the three pilgrim, pilgrim festivals, for Pesach, for Shavuot, and for Sukkot, which were great, great features of Jewish life, of course, and this was not allowed. And, in fact, it might scare you to know that these barricades lasted and were in position for 200 years, in fact, more than 200 years. And eventually they were finally um, uh, removed by Hoshea ben Ella, the last king of the northern kingdom, and he too chose the 15th of Av, this date, in 3187-574, before the Common Era. That was the date that he chose to remove these barricades, to now enable the north and the south to be reunited, to now enable the people from the north to come to Yerushalayim for Pesach, for Shavuot, and for Sukkot. Could you imagine the joy, the simcha, the happiness that that caused for the entire Jewish people and that we still live with today when we think about the 15th of Av. The dead of Beitar were allowed to be buried. What happened here? Well, the fortress of Beitar, which was the last holdout of the Bar Kokhba rebellion, um, was uh, something that was legendary in the time of Rabbi Akiva. And when Beitar fell on the 9th of Av, it fell on Tisha B'Av. Yes, we commemorate that on Tisha B'Av in 133 of the Common Era. Now, this is after, of course, the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. And Bar Kokhba and many thousands of Jews were killed. The Romans, who uh, didn't need that much of an excuse to be atrocious in their behavior, torturous, and uh, so on, they massacred They massacred the survivors of the battle with great cruelty, and they would not allow the Jews who were massacred in this terrible event at Beitar 
to bury their dead. Finally, permission was granted for the dead to be buried, believe it or not, 15 years later. The dead of Beitar were finally brought to burial on the 15th of Av in 148 of the Common Era, 3908. And an additional blessing was added to our Birkat Amazon. Hatov Vahametiv was added to Birkat Amazon to our Grace After Meals in commemoration of that. If you want to know, so here is a poser for you the next time you're playing some kind of trivial pursuit with your kids, which blessing was added for uh, the fall of Beitar, or better still, um, why was there a blessing added into the Grace After Meals in Birkat Amazon? Um, and what does it commemorate? And what is its link to the 15th of Av? Well, there you have the answer. The dead of Beitar were allowed to be buried, and they were on the 15th of Av. Now, it seems like a strange thing that all these thousands of burials took place, but this was regarded as such a blot and such a stain and such a horrible and horrific a rem- a constant reminder of the persecution of the Romans that all of a sudden there was this opportunity to give the Jews of Beitar a dignified and proper and halachic burial that uh, there was great joy. In uh, the Jewish uh, camp, there was great joy in all of Judaism, and we think about that too on the 15th of Av. And the final thing that is mentioned by the Talmud is that the, it's the day of the breaking of the axe. Now, we've all spoken about, we all think about, you know, when you end an argument that you bury the hatchet, it probably comes from this. There was the day of the breaking of the axe. When the Holy Temple stood in Yerushalayim, the annual cutting of firewood for the altar in the Beit HaMikdash, was concluded on the 15th of Av. And the event was celebrated with feasting and rejoicing, as the custom upon the conclusion of a holy endeavor, and included a ceremonial breaking of the axes, which gave the day its name. It was the day of the breaking of the axe. So let's call it the day of, in our colloquial terms, the burying of the hatchet, getting rid of anything that's divisive, anything that cuts, anything that is... Harsh and difficult and so on, but it was also a date that marked kind of the middle of the summer in Israel. And as is explained in Hasidic thinking, today is the day on which the moon is at its fullest. The sun is beginning to wane. The sun is getting weaker, and of course, not in our climate and not in our environment, but in Israel, in the north. Uh, in the northern uh, hemisphere, but in Israel per, uh, 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 pertinently and particularly, if we think about Eretz Yisrael, our holy land, this is the day on which, while the moon is at its fullest, the sun is beginning to diminish. It's kind of the ad- atmosphere and the attitude of our God and our godliness and our spirituality and so on is at its fullest. It is powerful. It is full. It is... Uh, bright in the night sky and the sun that that is re- representative of the idolaters and those who came to try and destroy us is actually beginning to wane get back to basics with judaism 101 with rabbi michael katz so as we've said there were no greater days of celebration in israel than the 15th of av and yom kippur Let's quote a little bit from the Talmud itself and let's see exactly what it says about what actually happened and how it was celebrated. It says the girls of Jerusalem would put on borrowed white clothing so that none could demonstrate her personal station. 
The daughter of the king would borrow from the daughter of the Kayan Godel. The daughter of the Kayan Godel, the high priest, from the daughter of the deputy. The daughter of the deputy, from the daughter of the Kayan anointed to accompany the armies to war. The daughter of the Kayan anointed to accompany the armies to war, from the daughter of the regular Kayan, and all of Israel borrowed from one another, so as not to embarrass one who lacked means. All of the clothing required ritual immersion. For the people were extremely careful regarding the laws of ritual purity in that time. And the daughters of Jerusalem would go out and dance in the vineyards. And he who had no wife would go there. And what would they say? Young man, look and see what you choose for yourself. Do not look for beauty. Look for family. For grace is false and beauty is vanity. The woman who fears God, she is praiseworthy. Of course, a quote from Mishlei. And... The verse continues, give her of the works of her hands, and her actions will win her praise at the gates. And the verse states in Shirashirim, regarding the husband whom the girls would choose, go out and see, daughters of Zion, Shlomo the king, in the crown which his mother had made him on the day of his wedding and on the day that his heart rejoices. The day of his wedding refers to the day that the Torah was given. The day that his heart rejoices refers to the day of the building of the Beit HaMikdash. May it be built speedily and in our time. And just as the collective home of Israel is based on Torah and divine service, so too many of our, may our home, sorry, be built upon Torah and divine service. What would the beautiful girl say? Look for beauty, for a woman's essence is her beauty. What would the girls from prestigious families say? Look for family, for a woman's purpose is to bear sons. What would the homely girls say? Take your purchase for the sake of heaven, provided that you adorn us with golden jewelry, for the daughters of Israel would all be beautiful, were it not for the fact that poverty makes some of them homely. This is a direct quote from the Talmud. It's telling us, Something really, really beautiful and important for us to all think about and understand. The real power of the Jewish people is clearly being celebrated on this day. And clearly celebrated on Yom Kippur as well. And it's the power of marriage. And it's the power of family. And so much has happened in our modern world to try and disrupt to try and corrupt, to try and change this incredibly important facet and part of Judaism and Jewish life. And still the battle rages, and still the war is on um, in so many different ways. But we cannot for a moment underestimate the real important power and importance of Jewish marriage, of families being built, of the creation of that inner and outer strength of the Jewish people. Our families are our essence. They're our nucleus. And they are the all-important part of Jews and Judaism for all times, and certainly today. And we cannot underestimate it. We cannot undervalue it. It is the cause of the greatest simcha, the cause of the greatest joy. The joy and the knowledge of knowing that we as a people will build small little homes, little families. And those families are symbolic of the whole structure of the Jewish people with the house of God being 
our Beit HaMikdash, our temple, with the family being our people, with the uh, marriage being the marriage between ourselves and God. The metaphors and the imagery continue. And please, God, on this day, we hope and we pray that not only do marriages continue, but that young people find their respective other halves, that they do so in a way of the uh, profound and beautiful Kedusha and holiness. We actually call a wedding, a marriage, we call it Chuppah and Kedushin. We talk about it as being a really, really holy and spiritual event. And let's stay away from the idea of corruption thereof or the changes that people want to try and make to all of these essential ingredients in Jewish life. And let's recognize the great and profound importance, as important, of course, as the Talmud compares it to Yom Kippur. Please, God, we will all be cleansed, forgiven, and brought back to exactly where we should be, building our Jewish people in the way that the Torah and God knows best. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Yes, and in summing up, let's think about the fact that we are here in the middle of the month of Menachem Of. We've just passed the midpoint. And as we pass this midpoint, we go into the remaining two weeks or so of the month, which means that we're now just over six weeks away from Rosh Hashanah. Now, as we say, if that doesn't put the fear of God in you, if that doesn't get you shaking a little bit in your boots, thinking about just how quickly this year has gone and so on, let's think about it in a positive sense. We've got the next six weeks or so, a little bit more, just on six weeks to be able to make a huge difference from this year and into the next. We're told that this is the first opportunity that we actually have to wish each other, to wish each other, to wish each other that we should be written, inscribed, sealed in the good books for the coming year. But it's also our opportunity to run ourselves a little bit of a countdown towards Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and make sure that we are in the right space and in the right frame of mind and in the right environment and the right atmosphere and that we're doing the things that we know that we need to do and that we don't seem to have had the time to do up until now of uh, participation in our communal activities, of being involved in our respective shuls and communities, of davening together, of praying together and no longer thinking that we have to or that we can find that same kind of um, spiritual upliftment if we're alone, that we need to spend some time a little bit more in learning Torah. In fact, it was from the 15th of Av that there was an increase in Torah learning at night, that we need to be involved in more Torah learning and that we extend our time not only for Torah learning and for davening and prayer, but for acts of goodness and kindness between ourselves and our fellow men. Let's improve upon our mitzvah observance and let's make sure that we have the last six weeks of this year of 5783 coming towards Rosh Hashanah, that we have them filled with everything good, wonderful, kind, beautiful, spiritual, uplifting, and, of course, full of simcha, of joy, 
the positive outlook and the positive attitude that we need to conjure up within ourselves and we need to spread far and wide. That hopefully that will carry us through to a great and wonderful brand new year come six weeks' time. So wishing you well for the rest of the week. Wishing you a great Shabbat up ahead. Looking forward to being back with you again same time, same place next week on another episode of Judaism 101.9.